It's always fun to have our kids dismiss. A lot of commotion. Um, one of the fun things, and I'm going to go off script here just a little bit. One of the fun things that uh, you notice about kids is particularly um, in the summer, sometimes we visit friends and family that we haven't seen for a while. And particularly when we see maybe nieces or nephews or grandchildren, we haven't seen them for a while. What's one of the things we notice? How much they've changed, right? You know, so we don't get to see that during a period of time. So we're going to come back to that later. I'm going to plant a seed there, uh, pun intended here. But one of the things I wanted to just highlight is one of the things I'm fascinated about is something called time-lapse photography. Now, time-lapse photography has been around for a while, but really in the 1930s, there was a man named Dr. John Ott. It's a picture of him here. And he was the one credited with the development of time-lapse photography as we know it today and sparked its current popularity in modern use. Dr. Ott built his own time-lapse equipment, and ironically, he predominantly used it to film nature and the plants growing in his greenhouses. These are some pictures of his. He's fascinated with time-lapse photography, and he used it to understand better how his plants grew. And then it began to get so popular, he even discovered a way to put it with music in a video, so much so that his work went mainstream. And Walt Disney featured it in one of his own documentaries, Dr. John Ott. Now, you can't go wrong with anybody whose last name ends with Ott, I believe. But we'll move <laughs> on to that another day. But speaking of seeking to better understand how seeds grow into plants over time, today I'll be sharing with you about a parable Jesus told about seeds and soils. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the sower. It's about a farmer who went out to sow his seed and what happened to the seed when it fell in different types of soil. The big idea for us from this parable that Jesus told is that Christianity is truly a matter of the heart. Jesus explains how God and his word have the power to change people's hearts, and at times God allows us even to be part of that process. We're in a sermon series, as you saw earlier, um, called Summer by the Sea, focused on the life and teachings of Jesus while he was ministering around the Sea of Galilee. Pastor Brian opened up our series a few weeks back by showing about Jesus calling his first disciples, as we saw in Matthew chapter 4. We learned that discipleship is a call to follow Jesus, a call to fish for Jesus, as well as a call to be part of Jesus' family. We were challenged to be true followers of Jesus, to share his story, and, include, and enjoy being part of that family. The following week, Max shared about Jesus calming the storm from the middle of Matthew chapter 8. We learned how it's not about our strength. We were challenged to deepen our dependence on God when we're not strong. And then last week, Pastor Brian shared about Jesus restoring two demon-possessed men in the latter part of Matthew chapter 8. We learned how demons are real, demons are evil, and how demons tremble at the name of Jesus. We were challenged by the, to be cognizant of the spiritual realm and to be confident in the power that Jesus has there and the authority he has there as well. Now today we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, and we're going to look at the parable Jesus mentioned about this farmer who went out to sow some seed and his explanation of the story that he told. We're going to be challenged to be marvel at the power of God's word. We're going to be challenged to appreciate how God is the one who works in people's hearts. And we're going to be challenged to understand what it means for us to be instruments in God's hands as part of it all. Next week's our annual church picnic, as you heard Drew announce, where Pastor Brian will be sharing about Jesus' own baptism as found in Matthew chapter 3. You don't want to miss it. So if you turn with your Bible, in your Bible or in your Bible app with me to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be starting um, in chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1, and I'll be reading all the way through verse 23. It'll be up on the screen as well if you want to follow along. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. 
Then he told, many, told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even though what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I truly tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and want to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. We're going to walk through these set of verses together and understand what they mean and see how they apply to our lives. But doing so, what I want to do is I want to first start in verses 1 and 2 and look at the setting. Then we'll unpack the parable that Jesus told in verses 3 through 8. Then we'll see this little snippet in the middle where Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. And then we'll look at Jesus' explanation. And then we'll wrap up with how do we apply it to our lives. So let's start with the setting. We start with the verses 1 and 2, and we see that Jesus is along the sea in an area referred to as Galilee. Now, Galilee is roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. That is around 2,000 square miles. A shout-out to Kim White. I know she's not here today, but uh, she's from Rhode Island if you want to talk to her. Historians estimated at that time that Jesus was there. There was roughly somewhere between a quarter million to three million people residing in this area of Galilee. So just for a sense, Rhode Island has about a million people. So size of Rhode Island, Rhode Island's got a million people, and there was somewhere between 200 thousand and maybe as many as three million people reside in there. So you can imagine that there is a crowd. So when it says Jesus leaves an overcrowded house he was in and walks down and sits by the side of a lake, this is a huge group of people. So many people that they can't see and hear him. So Jesus has to solve a problem, right? He wants to be able to have more people see and hear him. So he decides to get into a boat, pushes it off the shore so they can better see and hear him. Now, how many of you, uh, when you've gone recently to a concert or movie, have picked out your seat ahead of time? Yes? And what do you look for? Yeah. Some don't want to sit in the front. Some want to sit in the side. You want the best seat you can. So Jesus was really, by doing this, by getting in the boat and moving back, he was kind of creating a way that as many people as possible could see him and take in what he had to hear, what he had to say to them. 
So again, Jesus is using the boat as the place to get away from the pressing of the crowds. And as Pastor Brian showed us in recent weeks, what was the backdrop? Yeah, the, lake, the sea, the lake. I mean, what, what, what better way to, to get people's attention, right? Tell a great story along a waterfront. So this is the waterfront chat that Jesus is going to do. The other thing I just want to notice is, so it's a great backdrop. The other thing that's fascinating to me, and this is nothing about what we're talking about today, but I find it great. What is Jesus doing? He's sitting. And what are the people doing? Standing. Standing. We have it inverted here, don't we, today? Right? Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, we would have less people falling asleep in churches if we had a similar arrangement. He said, if he was sitting and you guys were standing, I think we would have greater attention. Now, we're not going to do that today, so don't worry. Those of you online, you know, please stay in your recliners wherever you're at, okay? But it's just a thought, okay? But I want you to get a sense of what's going on in the setting here. Jesus is back in a boat. People really want to hear what he has to say. He was talking in a house before, and he wants as many people as possible to hear the story. Because it's going to be fastest. So let's get a sense to the story. Let's get a sense of what's, what's going on in this story. Again, this is the parable of the sower, and it's one of the most famous passage, parables that Jesus ever told. The sower in the parable is a farmer, went out to scatter seed, and we're told what happened to the seed as it fell in these different types of soil. So the first type of soil we see falls on a path. Now the path is really kind of a footpath, referred to as the wayside. The seed that fell here, the birds came and said and ate it up. Now this being eaten up, um, this really means utterly devoured, leaving nothing, without any remains. I mean, think about like teenage boys and a tray of cookies. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Every little crumb is eaten up, okay? The seed here was like many people among where, where Pastor Brian was talking about last week, though. Pastor Brian talked that after Jesus left the town, went to this town where the demoniacs were, healed them, what did the people of that town ask him to do? Go away. We don't want you here anymore. So there were, they, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. There was no crumb or anything left that they wanted of Jesus. Now, the second type of soil is the rocky places. Rocky places were one that had stones. There was this thin soil with the rocks underneath it. The seed fell. They sprang up quickly. In a short period of time, it withered and died. Now, although the seed sprang up immediately and grew, it's when this hot sun came that it was scorched. And actually, the, the term scorched here actually means tortured with intense heat. Okay, and I'm not talking just like the heating lamp you put over like some food at a diner. Let me give you an example of this. So there's a recent story of a 22-year-old man hiking in South Dakota's Badland National Park who died from extreme temperatures after running out of water. It's that type of scorching heat that would actually kill someone. These seeds sadly did not develop any deep roots, and they too weren't able to survive in the heat. The seed is like many people who were in the crowds at Jesus' time, who started following Jesus. And then what happened is, is that they weren't very deep in him. So when he began to explain more deep truths and hard things about what it meant to follow him, they stopped doing so. They were shallow in their faith. Now the third type of soil was among the thorns. The seed that fell among here grew up and was, it says, choked by the thorns that grew here. Choked here means this crowding down of the seed and hindering it so it couldn't grow to the point where it dies. So basically it just stops it. And it reminds me of a local news story we heard just this, this month where a man in the Lehigh Valley area was choked to death by a snake that he had in his, in his apartment, which wrapped himself around his neck and caused him to die of cardiac arrest. So again, choked, okay? These thorns are choking to death. So this seed was like many people among the people where Jesus was teaching as well. When Jesus, when some of them started walking away, they joined them. Jesus wasn't for them. The fourth and the last type of soil was the good soil. It says how that seed produced a crop. Now, producing means here actually 
giving of oneself from the power that we get from God. God is the one who causes the growth in us and also causes the growth as a tool in the life of others that he puts us in. Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus said something very interesting, very similar to this. He says, in Matthew 7, 17, he says, every good tree bears what? Good fruit. So good soil produces a crop. Good soil also produces good fruit. So this concept of saying good soil, good trees, good everything produces good fruit, this is what he's talking about. And obviously the seed here in the time of Jesus was his disciples. In fact, what's exciting about the disciples is, is that Jesus not only told them about being good soil and how they could be, and most of them end up that way, but he actually told them later in his life, before he went back to heaven in John, he said that, that they would not only carry on with his work after he returned to the Father, but in some wonderful way that they will do what? Greater works than he had ever done. So not only good soil, I would actually call this great soil, because they're going to do greater works than he had ever done through his power. So we got a sense of the setting. We unpack the parable. Now Jesus goes and there's this little time in between where Jesus says, whoever has ears, let him hear. It feels like a riddle, right? Like, okay, what's, what's going on here? Now Jesus isn't just talking about listening and hearing to what someone's saying. And that reminds me of the story of the man who said how his wife was yelling at him that he wasn't even listening to her. And he thought that was really a weird way to start a conversation. Okay. <laughs> now here Jesus is challenging people to both listen and more importantly think. Think about what he was sharing as because there's some sort of deeper meaning. So when he says, whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples are like, why do you talk in these parables? And he wants them, he wants people to discover what he's saying. Not just at a general level, but specifically what it means for them. So Jesus paints this picture of fields and the results of these seeds sown in the fields by the farmer and now invites them to pay close attention of what the ideas are that he's trying to get across to them. In verse 10, they ask, why do you speak in these parables? And so he begins to explain in verses 11 through 17. Now, Jesus' response to their question is not one that some of us might give. Some of us have been, had a heritage of faith that says that Jesus used parables to make things easier to understand, right? In a way that made it people able to take some sort of spiritual concept and give it some sort of analogy that really brought something to life so it was easier to understand. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus' response is to the contrary. He shares at times he intentionally uses figurative language like parables to determine who's interested in seeking after God and sadly who's not. These parables Jesus used would often force the hearer to think about them, wrestle with their meaning, and determine what it would mean for them. Not many people do that. There's a level of both inspiration and effort that go along with that. So Jesus explains something we see and experience in our daily lives, that are people in our lives who we see are seeking to listen to God and hear what he has to say, and there's others who just aren't. Jesus used parables to prepare some people's hearts to begin processing these important truths about life from God that would require the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts and their heads to understand and apply it. What's neat is people who seek to hear from God not only hear from him, but God, what Jesus says is that he will continue to tell them more and more and more. So it's almost like, I don't know, back in the day when we didn't have like, uh, things that were so easy to go along, like uh, XM radio and, and cable channels, there was this thing you used to do on an old radio that you'd have to have a dial. And you'd turn a dial and you'd have to find a frequency to listen to either a program or a song. So it's that type of, and then what you do, once you're on there, then you can continue to hear it. And it keeps playing and you have everything. So what Jesus is talking about here is, he's not creating fuzz on the radio, but what he's saying is, he's 
creating a story, and if people are going to do the effort to turn and find it, then they're going to continue to hear that story. And the Holy Spirit's going to regularly give them results from their discovery, increasing truths to enrich their lives. So Jesus quotes in here from Isaiah, which is great. We had been in Isaiah ourselves as a church for quite some time, about people who do and do not spiritually see, people who do and do not spiritually hear, people who do and do not spiritually understand. He explains that this is a supernatural seeing, this is a supernatural hearing, this is a supernatural understanding where God gives people the ability to set and join things together about him in their mind. Have you heard the expression connecting the dots? Right? So this is really what we're talking about. God gives people spiritual insight to put the ideas about God and themselves together to see the broader picture of what God's plan is for them. They can see how they fall short. They can see how they need to follow him. They can see how he's the one who gives them all they need for life and godliness. So here Jesus is referring to speaking in parables as a way to see who the spiritual dot connectors are. In fact, do you, there are people maybe you know in life who just struggle to connect dots, right? And there's people who just, you know, in life just connect all kinds of things. They're the people you kind of want an escape room with you, or the people who figure out puzzles and things like that. Jesus isn't using these parables to obfuscate or make it harder to understand God. What he's doing is this giving different pieces that when you're illuminated, you're able to see them all together. It's kind of like at the end of a movie, like, oh my goodness, I didn't know who did it. Now I see, now when you watch the movie again, you kind of know what's going on, and you can figure out who would have done it. So we, but what happens is, is that Jesus continues on and explains in these quotes from Isaiah, there are people's hearts who have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They hardly see with their eyes. Otherwise, they might have seen or hear with their eyes, understand with their hearts. Instead, and he says, God would heal them if they just would turn to him. How sad a state they are in. And he goes on, I'd like to further describe these people as he describes them. I'd almost call them being desensitized to God and any hint of his voice in their life. They're often no longer affected by big things that happen. God uses events in our lives to draw our attention back to him. And that doesn't happen. Things like crisis and trauma. These people become so desensitized, they have a, maybe oftentimes have an abundance of resource, so they have a false sense of security in themselves and don't feel a need to think about God or talk to God. They spend a good time building their life the way they want it built. And they have blinders around anything that's not going to get them there. They find themselves avoiding deep conversations. They feel that they're too busy and don't want to be distracted by other people's stuff. They get to the point where they want to avoid people, except for those few people who are really helping them build the agenda they want for their lives. What a sad state. Back in Isaiah, this happened. Back in Jesus' time, this happened. We see it in our own lives. People have become desensitized to God and his voice. And Jesus ends by quoting Isaiah, telling his disciples how happy they should be. So if we talk about the sad state of these people, how happy a state the disciples should be. Why? Because of what God has done to open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear. This sense of being happy here that he talks about is one of actually being envious. So did you ever see somebody and you wish you had what they had? On it? That, so he's talking like these people wanted what the disciples had. They were envious. The, the people, the prophets of old, the righteous people came along before them. They wished they could see it. They wished they could hear it. They wished they could understand it. So Jesus said, it's not really, just he congratulated them for what they had received. Now we walk through the parable that Jesus told. We walk to an explanation of why Jesus used parables. Now let's look at this specific explanation that Jesus says about the parable. Now the irony is Jesus told roughly about 20 plus parables in the book of Matthew alone. 
And this is one of the few parables Jesus decides to explain after he tells it. So it must be pretty important. It's in multiple Gospels. So Jesus starts by explaining anyone who hears the message and does not understand it. He starts with that first group. He says that the evil one snatches it away before it had a chance to take root in their heart. And they perish. So this snatching that we're talking about, it goes back a little bit last week. There is this demonic, satanic forces in play. There's spiritual things in here. But what's happening is, is that the way that snatching happens is imagine that you have a prized possession. Imagine one of the most special things in your life. And imagine somebody comes and tries to rip that out of your hands. This is what's talking about with the snatch. It's a seizing of something. And so what is the most precious thing to God? People. Us. In fact, so much so, the Apostle Peter reminds us this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, how God is not wanting anyone to what? Perish. But what? But everyone to come to repentance. So God doesn't want anyone's seed to be stolen or snatched away. He wants the truth to gain root in their lives. So that's the first thing Jesus explains from the parable. The second thing he explains is anyone who hears the word receives it with joy, but their soil is too shallow for the root of faith to survive. They too perish, sadly. This, this is where Jesus is talking about there's trouble and persecution that comes, and these become snares in that person's life where they get caught. Um, they're stumbling blocks and able to fall into a trap and get stuck. That's the sense he's talking about here. It's almost like you were going along just fine, and then you got, you, and you can't get out of it, and you stay there. And um, so uh, my father, um, we, we grew up uh, with a garden in our backyard, and he enjoyed the garden very much so, but unfortunately there were some animals that also decided they would like to enjoy our garden as well. So my dad would oftentimes leave traps for them. They would get stuck, and the ones that were the most often were the groundhogs, and then he would give them what we call swimming lessons. And then none of them passed the swimming lessons. So, um, <laughs> so the groundhogs got stuck, they were captured, and that was it. They too perished. So um, just how it happens. So Jesus goes on to explain about the next group. He says, anyone who hears the word of God, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, the matter of worries and wealth, he, he couples them as a, you know, kind of a pair, interesting pair. And really what it is, is what are those things that distract us? I think the, old, the longer that life goes on, when I think back to my childhood, the number of distractions I have available in my life are just unlimited. And what happens is, is that it, my heart becomes crowded. The soil here he talks about becomes crowded. There's too many allegiances vying for space in our heads and our heart. And that's why Jesus described this as a divided heart, parsed up into different pieces, not fully his. And they too perish. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, have come from the world and have rendered people barren or profitless. We would call this great potential that ends up being a waste. They're no longer empowered by God, but they're unfaithful and unfruitful as a result. A waste. Jesus ends, of course, with explaining about anyone who hears the word of God, understands it, they produce an amazing crop. Now, what's fascinating about this crop is, I don't know, do we have any farmers in the house? I don't think, I'm hoping, I don't think that we do. Because if it was for farmers, I'd bring you up here and you explain to me how one seed produces generally how many things here. So we're going to talk about what kind of seed this, more than likely these are wheat or barley. So one seed um, typically does not produce 100, these numbers are just like, almost like, it's a crazy amount, okay? Think of it like, it's, it's not like popcorn, where popcorn pops and you get one, okay? That's kind of what the seeds often are. He's saying one seed is producing this multiple that's just out of control, big, an amazing crop. 
So the soil here that's good, and the one where God's word takes root, grows, and it reproduces itself over and over and over again. So not only do these people live our good soil, but God uses them as an instrument in the lives of others. So they don't perish, they're not a waste, but they're actually alive, and they're being used by God in the lives of others to bring them alive. Now what's interesting, the good soil is well adapted for its intended purpose. It is serving what it was created to do. It has found its why. It is as if, as Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, that the people of the good soil are reconciled to the Creator and now being used by Him as an ambassador of God to others, demonstrating the power of God and His Word in their lives by how they live it out. So Jesus used these images of the different kinds of soil to illustrate the different types of hearts that people have towards Him and His Word. Jesus highlighted the condition of our heart, like the banners that we have here, which says, Christianity is a matter of heart, this bottom one right here. So I have a little excerpt from our website that I just want to highlight. There's the link to it up there. So Jesus has used these things, and here's an excerpt from our church's website. It says, people are strengthened, genuinely encouraged, and I made this bold and red, Christianity is a matter of heart. In our website, we say, we've all had experiences in churches where programs are put above people, people were more fake than real, and Christianity was more of a religion than what? Than a matter of the heart. And we continue. He said, Hope Community Church was started by a group of people who wanted to do church differently. Because of that, we've always made this a place that's about people, genuineness, and a faith that comes from the heart. That's what we want to have here. That's our heart's desire. But it's not our, like we didn't come up with this idea or plan. This is from Jesus. Jesus said that Christianity is a matter of heart. So we've, we've unpacked this parable Jesus told. We got to see more why Jesus taught in parables. We delved into the explanation that Jesus gave. Now let's wrap up seeing how this applies to our lives. As we mentioned at the onset, we'll be challenged to marvel at the power of God's word, be challenged to appreciate how God is the one who works in people's hearts, and be challenged to understand what it means for us to be instruments in his hands as part of it all. So let's start with marveling at the power of God's word. In the story, the seed is really what the focus is here. This isn't a parable about necessary soil, but of seeds. And what's fascinating is the seeds are the same everywhere across these soils. The seed is what's amazing. No one's able to hear or understand what God's saying without God's help through the Holy Spirit bringing that seed alive. If these truths we're sharing today are a little puzzling, you're like, what in the world is seed? What is these truths? This is really cryptic. We just ask that, that you kind of talk to one of our elders, maybe one of the small group leaders, somebody who brought you here, that God's Holy Spirit would reveal to you what's true about himself through these stories that we're telling here today. We want you to have a sense in your head and your heart that... Jesus came and he died for you in your place because you couldn't do it yourself. And he was the one who, when we talk about this good soil, God's word explains the plan of salvation. And that's our heart's desire, is that you would learn that and understand that. Now, the second thing, that's for appreciating how God is the one who works in people's hearts. The growth of a seed is amazing. We pray that seed sown will grow in all people's hearts we know and love. And I want to go back to these types of soils Jesus was mentioning. Sadly, none of the three that we mentioned at the beginning produced the crop for themselves or for others. The first type of soil on the path outright rejected the seed. It's a hard heart. The next type of soil on the rocks had made the initial signs of life, but as time passed, it was shallow and the seeds never made it. I would call that a self-focused heart, as you see here in this chart. The next type of soil among the thorns had initial signs of life, but as time passed, it, it was overcome by other things, and the seed never made it. It was a divided heart, as I said. Now what's interesting is we can put people's names in our lives that we know. So if we're going to go to the next slide, Rob, thanks. 
Um, you could at this point in time just pause and think about, particularly for the purple, the orange, and the green, people that you know um, in your life who fit these. People who right now don't want any interest in God, people who started out in some sort of spiritual journey and um, are no longer among us or no longer interested in spiritual things. Um, and that's a way that we can use this parable as a tool to help pray for them. So I just want to first start with the one in the purple. For this type of person, we can pray that God would soften their hearts, that he would open their eyes, open their ears to see what's true about God and true about themselves and they would respond to him. For the next two type of people in the orange and the green here, we know there was something going on spiritually in their lives at one point in time, but it seems to be no longer there. For them, we could pray that they would be spiritually reignited and be single-minded in their focus on following him. That as Pastor Brian said in his first message, they would want to be a disciple and place importance on following Jesus and being a member of his family. And then for the last one in the yellow, the good soil, you know, we know that it produces a crop beyond belief, as I mentioned. For this type of person, we can pray that they just keep growing and learning. Now, the irony is in our, in our English culture, in our English language, when we haven't seen somebody for a while, we say, wow, you're growing like a weed, right? Like, we don't want to grow like a weed. We want to grow like a good plant, okay? So even though that's our idiomatic expression, really what our heart's desire is that they would keep growing in their spiritual journey, bearing more spiritual fruit as time passes. As for our understanding, the last thing, as for our understanding what it means to be instruments in God's hands, and to be part of that, isn't it truly amazing that we get to join in what God's doing by hearing, understanding, and being productive as good soil ourselves? So how do we do that? How do we become good soil? What does good soil look like? Because I think right now many of us are thinking, well, what kind of soil am I? How can I prepare my heart and mind to be the kind of soil that God makes a bumper crop, as we call it? Is God even growing in my heart? Now, one of the things that's interesting is, I want to go back to verse 12. One of the ways we can do that is actually in verse 12, is actually to share spiritual information insights that we've been given supernaturally by God about himself and his word. So in verse 12, it looks back, it says that Jesus refers to those who truly hear from God and understand have an abundance. This abundance is a fascinating little topic. The abundance here means that we have above and beyond what we would ever need for ourselves. God directs us to take this abundance of what we have received about him and see it as a surplus. So what in the world are we supposed to do with a surplus? What do we do with any surplus in our lives? We, we give it away, right? We give it to who? People who have need. So I want us to understand, for those of us who God has opened our eyes, opened our hearts, is working in our lives, that in, he describes very clearly that, that we have an abundance of understanding. We have an abundance of insights. We have more than we're ever going to need, more than we ever expect to have, and that abundance isn't just meant to be used for ourselves. We're to share our surplus with others in need. Now, how do we do that? We do that, number one, by praying. Nothing should be more sad to us than seeing people we know missing out on God's best for their lives. God has intentionally placed them in our lives where we live, where we work, and we play. They may be our siblings. They may be our parents. They may be our spouses, they may be our kids, they may be our co-workers, they may be our neighbors, they may be our friends. God has us to pray for them, that he would show mercy on them, that they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and they might understand with their hearts. He wants us to pray that they would turn to him so they would have a relationship with him where they can receive all they need for life and godliness here and in the world to come. We're to pray from our sadness. 
Now, at the beginning of our time, I started talking about time-lapse photography. And this is a nice little picture as well um, of seeds and soil. But I want to remind you, let's go back to Jesus' time. I mentioned the main crops were wheat and barley. And actually, you can find this in Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 8. Barley and wheat were planted in the fall, and they would be ready in the spring. That is quite a number of months later. Barley matured a little bit faster and would be harvested a bit sooner than wheat. But mechanically, here's how it went. Farming was one of the main occupations in the area where Jesus was teaching. The farming calendar consisted of two months of regular sowing, two months of late sowing, a month of hoeing weeds, a month of harvesting barley, followed by a month of harvesting wheat. So you see roughly about four months of sowing, one month of, of hoeing weeds, and it isn't until about five months later at the earliest with the barley that we even even know if we're going to get anything. And then really six months later with the wheat. So that's the context when Jesus is telling the story. That's, that's kind of what they're thinking about. They're familiar with the calendar. They know. And what this means is that they're from the time that a seed is sown by a farmer, it could be that many months so a farmer would know if the seed would end up producing anything. So for us, what does that mean? It means that we can't see what's happening. Just like the farmer can't see what's happening in the soil, we can't see what's happening in people's hearts. We don't know. We hope. We pray. We lean in. We care. Right? We're a caring place. But it's God who's working in the soil. And so the, when we look at this, this picture, I, I was trying to find an even better picture. It's like in the soil, below the soil, you see the seeds start to grow, and eventually it pops itself out, and then it produces all kinds of things. Most of those are videos. I didn't really want to put a video up here this morning. But you get the idea. You can visualize that in your head. So at the end, what we need to do is acknowledge and accept that we don't know what God's doing in the hearts and minds of people we love and that we care for. For some who are definitely good soil, we see the crop in their lives. Praise God for that. However, for many in our lives, it's like this time-lapse photography where we just need to wait and see. Or should I say, pray and see what will happen. We do know from this parable that the results will be very according to the conditions of hearts of people who hear. Thanks be to God, it doesn't depend on our skill to sow the seed, but it's the power of the seed in the lives of people. We've already highlighted that power. That is God's word and how it is what changes people's hearts. As we've seen from these various hearts, the hard heart, the shallow heart, the crowded heart, the fruitful hearts, reminded how grateful we are to God for him that he changed our hearts. We ask God for his help as we continue to be the good soil. I like how James 1 put this little, little, little last part of James 1, verse 20, 21b. He says, humbly accept the word of God planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. Humbly accept the word of God planted in our hearts, for it has the power to save our souls. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for you for planting your seed in us. Help us to be good soil. Enable us to grow in our faith and our relationship with you that is not shallow or crowded, but is deep and mature. Lord, come. We come to you surrendered as yours. Continue to transform us into people who are wanting to be like you. We offer you our hearts completely to you. For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this in your name. Amen.